welcome back to Meanwhile in an Abandoned Warehouse. I'm Sophie Hope and I'm sat here with Alison Jeffers. And um, Alison is the co-editor with Jerry Moriarty of Culture, Democracy and the Right to Make Art, the British Community Arts Movement, published by Bloomsbury in 2017. Owen and um, I have contributed chapters, I must say, to mm-hmm. the publication, yeah. so we have a um, vested interest in this, perhaps. Um, and Alison and I, we're sat in Alison's house in Manchester. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to have a chat about the book and it's, um, yeah, reflect on, I guess, it's it, the process and where we're at now with um, cultural democracy. Mm. So, Alison, do you want to say a bit about yourself and the publication, how it came about to begin with? Yeah, sure. Um, so, f- I suppose my interest initially in this book was quite a selfish one in that I have a background in community arts because I worked for a community arts company uh, really throughout the uh, 1980s from 1984 into the the early 90s um, and was involved with um, Dave Chadwick who was a visual artist and myself uh, under the mentorship of Jerry Moriarty my co-editor uh, and in fact, also artists uh, who are involved in the book, Silla Baines from uh, Community Arts Northwest, and uh, Mick Smith also from Community Arts Northwest, who sadly died a couple of years ago. Um, so we were involved in setting up Cartwheel Community Arts in Rochdale now. Cartwheel Arts, it's still going. Uh, it's the artistic director now is a guy called Rick Walker. So I have had this sort of interest in the back of my mind, having moved out of Community Arts and into, I suppose, the academy fairly generally um, and and started a, an academic research career in uh, about 2004 and started to do a lot of research in the area that I'm in is um, technically applied theatre, which is a really, really broad kind of um, area. Um, but I was reading books on applied theatre at the time and not seeing any reference at all to community arts which just seemed to me very strange so the references to community theatre but there was nothing to no reference really at all to community arts Um, and I suppose also I had become aware of the fact that community arts had become a bit of a discredited term also Um, it wasn't a term that people felt terribly comfortable about using it seemed to me It wasn't a dilemma for me because I wasn't in that world any longer, but I was picking up on the fact that people didn't particularly want to call their work community art. So that kind of lack of a history on one hand and the kind of diminution of the term um, started to interest me because it was something that I'd been very heavily invested in for 10, 11 years um, of of my working life. And... um, so I started to wonder really how I might be able to um, bring that history back into um, the public domain in some way through academic research. So I started talking to Jerry. Uh, I said, I think we should write a book about community arts. And she said, I think that's a very good idea. Uh, little did we know. I mean, that was about 2009, I think. And, and we started then a series of interviews in 2010 because thinking about how to do that was quite it was quite an organic process really I suppose we did start to think 
okay, well, if we're going to be looking at the history of community arts, there are certain key people that we would be foolish not to talk to. Um, and these are now artists into their, you know, 70s and even into their 80s uh, in some cases. Um, and so we set up a series of interviews um, because that just seemed to be the sensible thing to do. Um, and we interviewed, I think in the end, over a period of about three or four years, um, because both of us were doing this on a, on a part-time basis, uh, I think we interviewed a, about sort of 20, 25 people altogether uh, in the end. Um, and then you have that classic dilemma of thinking, great, we've got all this material now, you know, how are we going to make some sort of shape out of this? So a shape started to emerge, I suppose, where... Well, first of all, the shape of an edited book um, started to emerge because, again, I think we thought, well, we've got some perspectives on it, but, you know, we don't know. There's so many things that we don't know, so many perspectives we can't have. Um, And given the plural nature of community arts, it just absolutely seemed to make sense to make this an edited book uh, and to invite a a whole range of voices into that, not just the people that that we'd interviewed, um, but also, obviously, people like yourself and Owen, um, Oliver Bennett, Mark Webster, um, and the co-writer of his chapter on training in community arts, Janet Hetherington, um, and um, also, I'm scanning now the um, the contents page. Um, that was then on top of the in the first part of the book. What started to emerge really was the fact that I suppose community arts has had kind, had been a, a kind of a, a set of practices. It wasn't even just really one practice, but it had developed very differently in different parts of the UK and that was even before we started to think about how, you know, how to develop in Europe, how to develop in America and Australia and all sorts of other places. Um, but, you know, there, there, there had to be some parameters to it. Um, so we started to look at, well, how did it develop in Scotland? That's a very different narrative to how it developed in Wales, to how it developed in Northern Ireland and how it developed in England. And what I didn't want to do was to set up England as the default um, to make that the kind of you know the the the, the, new, the neutral baseline, um, so we wanted to sort of treat England very much as you know another region where community arts had been um, popular uh, at some point. So the first part of the book is is focused on those regions, and I think as I say in the introduction, it very much privileges the voice of the artist. Um, and that's something that we've had we've had some criticism around, which I can absolutely understand as an academic. Um, you know, perhaps there's a sort of sense of it was a constant battle with nostalgia. You know, you've got to got to put that out there. It was constantly um, trying to weigh up the possible romanticisation um, the way you know stories become canonised and, and those sort of things and trying to weigh up the, the value of um, the having those voices with the sort of potential of, of sort of you know romanticism and nostalgia um, and that, that, that was that was always a dilemma um, with, with you know with the interviews and, and with the, the, the first part of the book in particular but I just kind of well I thought really where else are those voices going to ever be heard actually and um, you know 
it, it, it would feign iniquitous really um, and very unethical to produce a book that didn't put those voices right in the centre so that was an important um, political decision I suppose in a way um, and then to have the kind of second part of the book as a slightly more reflective um, conversation that picked up on some of the questions that the first part was bringing up. So this was happening in the late 60s, the 70s, I would say through into the mid-1980s. Where are we now? You know, so bringing in people like yourself and Owen and Mark uh, and Oliver and Janet and trying to sort of really puzzle through what is what was so what's going on now what how do you respond to that and actually not even so much what's going on now um because that would almost be part three but how do you respond to that history from your perspective as as an artist no all right bye bye (laughs) that's my daughter going out (laughs) um so how do you you know how do you how do you respond to that as uh you know somebody that was in that working in that period somebody who wasn't working in that period um, etc etc so just kind of picked up a range of kind of interesting voices I thought for the second part that was slightly more reflective um, with I know this is a big question but um, you're looking you're focusing on community arts mm. movement and the histories of practices in different parts of the UK um, and then part two is titled cultural democracy practices and mm. politics can you say briefly something about that relationship between community arts and cultural democracy yes I think I wasn't as clear at the time when I was writing the book as I feel now about that Um, I was aware that historically there had been a number of artists obviously from that period who were very interested in cultural democracy as a you know as, as a phenomenon as a, as a set of politics or whatever a uh, set of art practices um, that came out of that so that felt important to because it wasn't really coming through in the first part of the book so in the second part of the book it did feel like there was a need to foreground those kind of questions and that was before, it was kind of at the same time or slightly, the book came out slightly before a kind of really big um, sort of uh, explosion of interest in cultural democracy. Um, so in some ways I, I was working quite intuitively, really more than, than anything else and thinking, well, what what is it that is pulling all of this together? And I knew from talking to... Uh, people like Kathy McHarris, who set up Telford Community Arts, um, who was one of our interviewees, that there had been this um, a kind of uh, a real searching for uh, ideas around cultural democracy in the seventies. It was more, I, I think, cultural democracy actually was more of a political than an artistic movement. I think the, cult, the community arts movement responded to cultural democracy in lots of different ways. And I trying to make the argument, uh, perhaps slightly fancifully, but you know, that we I kept arguing for the title, um, the capital letters Community Arts Movement, capital C, capital A, capital M to sort of try to say this was a movement of artists. But what they were doing was responding to a bigger uh, sort of political uh, shift towards cultural democracy which I think we still don't fully have sight of actually now I think a lot of that is still hidden away in 
places like the Archives of the Council of Europe and UNESCO in particular, those kind of places where this cultural democracy was being talked about across, not just across Europe, but actually, I mean, a lot of these were Commonwealth nations, but equally not all Commonwealth. So kind of being talked about, you know, across many, many different places and puzzling over this idea of cultural democracy and what, what might it be. And what it was coming out of, I think, is a number of factors that were coalescing at that time. So an increase in urbanisation, um, a, uh, a kind of sense of alienation of the, 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 the workforce, uh, a shift in uh, the kind of demographic shift, so it was much, much more interest in young people. And this was, you know, kind of youth culture and suppose things like that um, coming through, and a massive shift in technology. And so, what they were trying to do was work out, I think, how how are the arts positioned within that? Because Who's in some they? way, who are they? Good question. These um, there are a number of names that do keep coming up. Um, Raymond Williams is one name. Augustine Gerard is mm. another name that I keep coming across. Um, and in fact, Raymond Williams and Gerard and Khrushchev, who was the principal of the Moscow School of Arts, are um, kind of were are, are um, uh, attributed to a, a paper called "Larger Access to and Participation in the Arts," and that there's the, the term cultural democracy is used in that, and that's nineteen. 72 so and I think probably cultural democracy predates that so there were a number of um, there there were many many people thinking this through at that time and I think what then community artists did was to partly or in part to pick up on those ideas and those concerns so it was a sort of they called it uh, cultural animation or animation mm. culturelle, and the French term came first. Um, so how do you animate communities? And there was a sort of shift, there was a lot of talk around, well, you know, do you just go in with an animation programme? And then that was seems a little bit old-fashioned because what you ought to be doing is responding to what's already within those communities and then helping people to animate what's already there. So that's where I think the cultural democracy um, idea started to, to, to come out of that kind of thinking. It's from what you're, the way you're describing the kind of context around thinking of cultural democracy, it's quite um, sort of well, either policy-driven or seems quite top-down as a concept rather yeah. than... That, which is interesting because it... Mm. In, theory is embrace is really about the kind of grassroots mm, that's but a good point if it's writ- the way it's written about and yeah um you know how it, the, the the evidence that we've yeah. got looking back at the archives yeah. it ends up coming across as quite a top-down yes <laughs> yeah yeah that's a really good point and i you know that that is to do with what survives isn't it and what is archived yeah. and again whose voice is heard and it does, yeah, I, I suppose it does sort of start to seem like, again, it was the great and the good of the, you know, cultural policymakers of, you know, Europe and the world getting together and going, oh, we've got all these problems, how are we going to solve them? And I, there, there must have been, surely, some other kind of um, shift or move, you know, from, from within those communities that they were responding to. 
but that voice has gone. You know, I mean, in some ways, even those top-heavy voices are disappearing. Um, you know, and, and and hopefully, you know, can can be resurrected in some way. But um, yeah, it does start to look like a kind of uh, policy-driven initiative, whereby communities are done onto rather than mm. communities being active. I don't want to believe that that's actually the case. No. I think it's just about how we record history yeah. and the, the nature of archives. And did you, when you were doing the research and doing all these interviews, were there things that surprised you? Was that were there things that like were challenged your assumptions and views of? There were, there were um, a number of things, um, and it's hard to. It's hard to it's hard to um, separate out what surprised me as an academic doing research in you know the in this period, and what surprised me as a practitioner looking back on that period. One thing really struck me was how I um, wished, in some ways, I'd taken the notions that we now have or we're beginning to have around things like everyday participation uh, about vernacular creativity I think there was a sense in which um, that was understood but it wasn't as valued as the as a lot of, of as, as the, the kind of the artwork that was um, being done with those communities I think there was a sort of idea that we were starting where people were at but looking back now I think mm, I'm not sure that that was necessarily always the case so I kind of wish I'd there were a number of times when I was really struck by what we would now call that you know, uh, art of the everyday or vernacular creativity or whatever you want to call it that I don't think we fully Understood or fully made use of, so that was a challenge to me personally. Uh, that was coming through um, the the research, um, and I suppose also the the whole thing around cultural democracy, um, you know, was that sense of trans- really grasping what it was. I'm not. What in- is it? Well. <laughs> What is it? I, Are you any clearer? I don't know. I I'm clearer in the sense, I suppose, around the 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 dichotomy, I suppose, between you know what, what is what is cultural democracy or what cultural democracy might be, and what is a kind of program of democratization of culture. I feel much much clearer about that now, certainly than I was in the 1980s. But even you know it, while while we were writing the book, that that feels much clearer to me. Um, but at the time, I think there was also a sort of sense that, um, as I said to you, I was one of the people at the uh, the conference that you and all talked about in Sheffield in 1986, who were a bit puzzled about what was going on because suddenly everybody was talking about cultural democracy. I'd been working as a community artist for two years at that point. Um, it was the first time I'd heard that term, um, and. Uh, I couldn't make that shift. I, I I just didn't have the capacity at that time or the experience um, to, to, to begin to see how that might be relevant to the community arts that I was doing in, in Rochdale at that point. So um, 
I suppose I kind of feel clearer, much, much clearer about that now. Um, but still, you know, still kind of, if you, if you, you know, kind of pin me down and go, what is cultural democracy? It would be a very hard question to answer in one sentence. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. That's I know. I'm you down. I know. <laughs> well, it is that sort of, I mean, it is that idea of, of, of working with what's there, isn't it? It's the idea, I think, of um, tr- make, making valuable what already exists and understanding capacity in the sense of what 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 people are already doing that could ameliorate, could improve, could help people to um, live to a, a kind of fuller capacity maybe um, rather than a kind of, you know, an imposing sort of set of uh, practices or policies or, or whatever it might be. Um, and I kind of, you know, I understand in theory the idea... Uh, and certainly, I think this comes across quite clearly from those, you know, kind of policymakers in the in the seventies that, you know, it's not possible to have political democracy without cultural democracy. And so, I'm still trying to work out. I, I can understand that in theory, but I'm still trying to work out what that might mean in practice. And I do, you know, I do get disheartened often. <laughs> you know, look at you know ideas around democracy, and particularly in relation to the media. Um, you know, it's really feels terribly idealistic in some in in many many ways. But then again, it's 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 a good it's it's a great thing to aim for, and I think you've got to keep that in in sight. Mm. Yeah, and what um, do you think there have been having kind of got the knowledge of the conversations you've had mm. now with all, all these people who were active mm. in the 70s 80s 90s yeah. whatever you know like do you um have we got anywhere has the move mm. has this kind of made any inroads has it is it constantly like looking to the future or is it actually mm. have, have things been realized oh that's a hard one i i think in a sense that I'm not. I'm not sure that everybody in that period of work. Well, no, everybody in that period was not working towards cultural democracy because it wasn't a program or um, something that was really very widely shared. So, in a sense, there's not that sense of you know working towards a goal, and we've got some of the way towards that goal because there isn't that coherence. I don't think. But it would be too depressing to think that nothing had been yeah. achieved. Um, and in a sense, I think the fact that we're having these conversations is an achievement in, in, in and of itself because there's a way to push back at some of the uh, kind of current thinking, um, or, which, you know, we started to see in the 80s with um, kind of, you know, access programs and things like that and, and looking, you know, kind of the, the, the uh, influence of participation and kind of taking things away from community arts and making them participatory and all of that um, so I think there is I think what it's given us is a way to push back against some of that narrative that is um, a much more kind of liberal program which is you know about really having access to mm. existing provision um, so it's, it's giving us a vocabulary and which I think is really really helpful. Mm. 
and it's giving us a kind of sense of an alternative. Um, so in some ways, I, I think that's kind of possibly one of the most promising things. You know, regardless of all the amazing things that have been achieved through, you know, individual projects and programs and through companies and all of that kind of thing but looking at it right here at this moment I think that's uh, that sense of having the the, the kind of recognised recognisable alternative um, is, is one of the most hopeful things that's mm. come out of it that's, that's hopeful <laughs> um, and the one of the things, the conversations we've been having is around like the significance of, of doing this history work this yes, like long-winded um mm. uh you know interview process archival research mm. trying to find things that don't necessarily exist yes <laughs> in any recognizable form yeah pra- trying to trace practices that are ephemeral yeah. that are mm. process-based yeah that were in the moment how do you access that mm. kind of um invisible mm. work yeah um can you say i mean i think we both share a passion mm. for that mm. and a, a and a shared like quandary as to how and yeah. how we do that well yeah. and sensitively um but do you yeah have you um do you want to say any more about that process and and the significance of i guess of doing that work in terms of where we're at yeah i mean i, I do worry sometimes that it is a little bit arcane and pedantic and maybe maybe don't we don't need the level of detail that i would quite like to go into um, and that makes me worry that I've just become, you know, fusty old academic who just wants to spend all the time in archives. And was it really mean? Um, however, I think without the history, it's too easy for ideas around cultural democracy, for the term cultural democracy to be used in a depoliticised sense I think without the history um, it, it's, it, it can become something that it was never really meant to be and, it, and, that, and that is a depoliticised um, phenomenon that, that is not very helpful Do you want to say a bit more specifically about um, that, about what it could become in a depoliticised sense, what do you mean? Well I suppose we've seen it already uh, in, the, in the very first uh, podcast, I think uh, that you and Owen talk about, and, and and we've had conversations as well about the um, the Arts Council report, which uses cultural democracy in the title, and yet seems to completely misunderstand what cultural democracy is because there is no history to it. There's no his- There's no history to that um, kind of approach, um, and so it becomes something that's very. Um, that's much more superficial, mm, I jargon. think. Yeah, it is. It's, it's you know, and, and I've, I've seen it used in various places, and I think, do you really mean cultural democracy there? I, I'm not sure that you entirely do. And, and uh, you know, so to go back to the history question, if you understood the history of where this term comes from um, and how it's been used through, you know, a, a kind of period of, of time, I don't think you'd use that term because you'd realise it's not the right term. And, and you've you've jumped on a kind of a useful term, which sounds lovely. It's a bit like you know Raymond Williams said, you know, who who could not be nice to the word community? It's a yeah. lovely, what's he called, warmly persuasive. I think we're in danger of cultural democracy yeah. becoming warmly persuasive. 
um, and and losing its 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 political intention. Um, so that without the history, I think that's probably what what has happened. Um, so you know, it's it's but it's trying to it's trying to use the history in a way to reanimate the term cultural democracy in the way that it was first envisaged, but not to ossify it. It's you know, it it, it is a kind of living phenomenon. It's you know, it's processual. Um, it's something. It's it, you know, it's an iterative process. We've got mm. to keep doing it and keep doing it. Um, and unfortunately, it it seems to become a little bit stuck in the last couple of years because there isn't the historic understanding mm. of it. More work to be done. Still, there more is books. more work to be more done. More books. <laughs> well, that's the thing, isn't it? It's a dilemma, you know, because it's interesting. Actually, I mean, one thing I would like to say is just about the politics of publishing. Um, you know, the book that we produced, we we worked so so hard to make that a readable book. You know, to be properly critical, to you know, to 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 be theoretical, to have kind of strong theoretical underpinnings, but to be readable. Um, but there's no point in a book being readable if it costs £75. <laughs> but that is the reality of academic publishing. Um, you know, the e-book is the same price, uh, you know, whatever the policy is, is on that. Um, and so I was, the, the thrill for me was to, for it to become open access. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was a battle, you know, and that's unusual, I think. And, and, you know, we had to jump through various hurdles and that was achieved through institutional one-off funding from University of Manchester. So it's not something that's going to be very common in, you know, uh, certainly in the near future. So something around that, yeah, more work to be done, but what's the... Platform. Yeah, yeah, how can we... Because sort of, we were talking about this earlier, about how academia can kind of almost put in so many hurdles to mm. prevent you doing the work that yeah. you're kind of there to do. Yeah. So you, we end up practising and publishing outside of academia yeah but i guess using our salaries to yeah. you know to use yeah. the time but yep. until yep. we get found out <laughs> um, yeah. you know blow that cover <laughs> um yeah the um yeah i think all of the the context in which we we publish in, yeah. in the broadest sense yeah it doesn't have to be in a book form but in um any public kind of forum of like yeah. the podcast these podcasts as well like yeah. thinking how do we how, how do we practice cultural democracy yeah. in, our, in the yeah. form our research yeah, exactly. and, yeah. you know, yeah. practice takes? How, how, how do we imbue everything yes. with those yes. yeah. um, ideas yeah. and philosophies and yes. things? Yeah. But I think one, I mean, one, one thing that was sort of fed back to us in a sense was, you know, the, the, whoever was considering this within the institution for open access kind of looked at it and saw the content and thought how can this not be yeah, open yeah. access so that's encouraging in, is, in a yeah. sense really yeah. you know that it was a it was a there was an ethical decision made about that um so that that kind of makes me feel a little bit it's more optimistic. yeah <laughs> it's really important yeah to, and really well done for persevering <laughs> the, on that front yeah and thanks to my colleagues and all my peer reviewers yeah yeah <laughs> that's, that's a group always a group yeah effort. always always Definitely. Well, Alison, we've got a lot of work to do on these this archiving. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> history's yes. front, along yes. with other people. Yes. Find, finding it being the, the, the primary goal, yeah. first of all. Well, maybe this could so. be a call-out for the end of our yes. podcast yes. Um, episode, if there is anyone mm. listening 
out there yeah. who is doing work on histories of cultural democracy, yeah. um, has things in their own attic or yeah. cupboards. Yeah. Anybody that wants a clear right? Yeah, give us a call. <laughs> hotline, we should have a hot- <laughs> cultural democracy hotline. Yeah. Um, and we'll come with removal vans. Yes. <laughs> We'll take those cardboard boxes away. Um, but yeah, also, but yeah, in, and if other people are interested in doing yeah. in this thinking as yeah, well as definitely. practical work, let us know. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, thank Alison. You. Is there anything else lovely. you want to add uh, um, No, it's, I mean, it's interesting that you're here because of a conference that, that we're both going to on, on Raymond Williams. And I suppose it's been interesting doing a little bit of research around Raymond Williams and discovering how um, close he was to some of these debates and that that cheers me in in many ways Um, when I was a drama student many years ago there were probably about half a dozen books that you know were were on all all our reading lists and one was drama from Ibsen to Brecht by Raymond Williams and it was such a a light at the the end of the tunnel so it's really nice to come back to all of that and to find those people and uh, people like Illich and I mean Frere's always been a kind of constant but you know to kind of be rediscovering some of those voices in connection with us is just lovely as well yeah so thanks for the opportunity to have a conversation it's great thank you Alison we'll continue